Well, welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. I'm Aaron, the pastor. I get to bring the message today on our third week of Advent. And as you obviously see, our, our uh, service this week is about joy. And just a reminder on there, this, after this, uh, this afternoon, about uh, 6 o'clock, we'll be having our EMA worship service down at, at Mountain View Bible Fellowship. And so we invite you to join us as we continue uh, the celebrating Christ together, the season of joy. Now today we wrote we uh, lit the um, the candle that is the rose colored candle. I know it looks pink, but it's rose. And here's the difference. I don't know, um, but it is the it's the different color for a reason. Every week we've light a candle. Um, preparing ourselves for the Advent, and each week there's more candles, reminds us the light of the Christ, the light of the world was coming, and, and so that's a very good thing. And the purple is a color of, of preparation, of introspection. And then on Christmas Eve, we light the white candle, which reminds us the light of the world has come, that Christ has come in purity and perfection. And today we lit the rose-colored candle, which is a combination of the purple and the white. And it reminds us in that preparation, as we do that introspection, that preparation, that there's something amazing that happened that we celebrate. And we call that joy. And so today we get to talk about joy and the power that it has and how it can help us. First, of course, we want to have our memory verse, remind ourselves of this, because there's a reason that we have joy. Something happened. And 700 years before Jesus was born, uh, through the, the prophet Isaiah, God told us this. He said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, a Mighty God, an Everlasting Father, <coughs> Prince of Peace. And so we have reason for great joy that this God did show up, and then we're going to talk about that. But uh, first, if you wouldn't mind, just say this a few times with me. Let this uh, truth, uh, this fulfilled prophecy, begin to stick into your heart and your mind. Here we go. Three, two, one. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. This is why we have uh, such a great time this season. I mean, have you ever needed uh, good counsel? Have you ever been in a life where I'm like, I wonder what I should do and, and needed someone to talk to to get some, some counsel? But isn't it amazing that God came and he shows up to be a, not just a decent counselor, not just a good counselor, but a wonderful counselor? He invites us to come to him and he gives us good advice and good direction. Or how about this? Have you ever been a, a time in life where the world was so much bigger than you and you felt overwhelmed? There a time that you just needed a mighty God to be there? Aren't you grateful that this mighty God has shown up? I mean, have there been times that you felt so alone, unloved, separated, not cared for, nervous, maybe uh, uh, fearful even of this world? You ever needed an everlasting father? to know that you are loved and that you are cared for. Isn't it amazing that, that our Heavenly Father came down and revealed Himself to us? Have you ever been in turmoil, at war, but with yourself, or with someone else, and just seems like there's nothing you can do to resolve that conflict, and it just seems to get worse and worse and worse, and you just needed a Prince of Peace to show up and, and, and to calm the, the battle that was raging? It's amazing that's exactly who our God is. And it's a God that didn't stay distant. It's a God who came to us, put on flesh. You wouldn't have to wonder what God was like. He removed himself from, from the realm of religion and theory, and he put on flesh that we could see him 
and talk to him and hear him with our actual ears. Thus, the child was born. What an amazing thing. And because of that, it's not just that the hope that we had that he would come, it's the fulfilled hope that he did come and he's coming again. The peace that he brought between us and God, uh, giving us, making sure that our, our sins could be paid for. He didn't come declaring war on us because we're wicked. He declared war on our wickedness and died on our behalf. So there was no retribution left for us. And we have peace, not just with him, but now we can have peace with each other because we've been forgiven. We can forgive now. What a great thing. We've been shown grace, and so we can offer grace. We've been given mercy, and so we can show mercy. This Christ deserves to be celebrated. And with that hope, with that peace, we have, well, the ability to handle life in a whole different way. Because I tell you, like a lot of us, and I don't know why I, I chose fed up, not mad. I was thinking about the other day. I should have called this the mad cow. Wouldn't that have been much better? I kick myself. I'm like, oh, that would have a much better term. Fed up cow. I tell you what, most of us in this life, we struggle with anger. We live in an angry culture, don't we? I mean, we are politically and socially polarized as a culture. And it's not just like the right and the left. There are people all different sides. And it seems like if you don't perfectly accept and celebrate everything that I am, then you must be the enemy. You know, I, I find that, that right now that there seems to be like, this, like an underlying rage even in, in amongst our society. Like, like there's, uh, we're just walking powder kegs as, as Americans almost, just waiting for something to set us off. You know, it, I was uh, just in Denver, I took our staff to a, a training and it was really good, but it was surprising to me. You stay there and we were down uh, and... Uh, my uh, sister-in-law works at a hotel that's there. She's a manager, and, and she talked about uh, when we, were, we stayed there. She said, well, our staff thinks you're so nice. And I said, why? And she said, because you smiled at them. And I said, well, of course I smiled at them. Uh, they're in hospitality business, right? They, they made my bed. I didn't have to. I was like, yay, that was fantastic. And she's like, no. She's like, here, like at the restaurants, like that. she's like, people will yell at their staff regularly. That's what they expect. Little tiny things like, you know, you gave me a feather pillow. How dare you, right? Uh, she had a person, actually a, a, a large, big man, pushed her into a table in the restaurant down there because she didn't have the right kind of salt, right? Just like rage. But I think we experience that kind of rage, don't we? Like, like there's this, this underlying thing that would just explode over stupid things. Something doesn't go right and we just want to blow up. Like, here's something that just happened to me just a couple weeks ago. I went to the store, but you know how much I love. And I went to the store because I wanted eggnog, because it's delicious, right? Eggnog, so good. It's the time of year. I'm going to get my eggnog. And you know how it's like. There's the glass shelves and the eggnogs in a certain spot. And, and, and people congregate there because a lot of people like dairy products. And so here I was. I was like the fourth person back to get into there. And there was two eggnogs left. Too, right? You, you know exactly where I is. And so I was like, I'm not going to get my eggnog. And I was frustrated because I had made it all the way back to the back that I was going to get this. And so the first person goes there and they don't grab eggnog, they grab cream. I'm like, yay. <laughs> and I had for a moment, I had hope. <laughs> and then I was like, but the next person, 
Number two, they didn't just take one eggnog. They took both. <laughs> Do you know the craziest thing over eggnog? I, w- I, I didn't think Christian pastorly thoughts at that moment. <laughs> right? I was filled with, I was just like, how dare this person do this? Can't they see? Right? How selfish. I thought, you know, man, there was this, this, this level of injustice. Like I was, I, I was hoping that maybe they would slip and fall and the egg dog would spill on them, right? There was just this rage that I had over something as stupid as a carton of, of eggnog. Come on. Where does that anger come from? Where is this anger that we would wish ill on another human being over doing something completely benign? Well, I think there's a lot of that in our culture, and it comes from the fact that we have these emotions, this, this rage sticks to us. See, when we look at anger, where does it come from? Have you ever wondered? It's not a bad emotion. Anger was given by God. God gets angry. It's not a sin. But it can control our lives, and it can cause us to become very hateful, awful people, the very worst versions of ourselves. Where does it come from? Well, oftentimes, anger comes from fear. Right? It's a fight-or-flight response. Something happens that threatens us. And so we get this wash of chemicals in our brain that tells us, you know, you better run or fight. Right? So we feel threatened in life by some things, and then we get mad. We feel afraid. We get a bill that we, we don't think is just. Like We feel like we, we shouldn't have gotten. Somebody steals our debit card, right? And we feel afraid. Now, all of a sudden, we're not as safe, right? We have somebody pull out in front of us in traffic or stop too fast, and it makes us afraid. And all of a sudden, all of those emotions come up, and we get mad. And that makes sense, fight or flight, but what do you do with it? Do you come out in road rage and start pounding the person? Do you yell at them? Do you, what do we do with that rage? You know, sometimes anger doesn't come as fear when things in life make us afraid. Sometimes it comes out of a source of injustice. We see something happen that is just not right, and it makes us upset. And you know what? That's a very godly response. God gets angry at injustice. Most profoundly, we saw his anger of injustice dealt to himself on the cross. He doesn't pull any punches. When it comes to injustice, it makes God mad, seething mad, as it should. When bad things happen to the innocent, when the wicked prosper, God's not okay with this. He's not going to let it last forever. And part of that, that imprint of who God is and His nature and His character is on us. And so we see injustice, things happen to us that are not just, not fair, not right, as we assume we get angry. The difference between God's wrath and ours, however, is His is checked by justice itself and also by mercy and love. Ours not always so. Sometimes I think I'm just and I'm not. But I'll see something happen, right? Something like somebody takes the last two eggnogs and, and I'll be like, that's unjust. And I want vengeance. I want them to slip and fall, right? And it would make me feel so good if they did because I would justice was met. And the thing is, the justice isn't always in our hands. And we find out that oftentimes when we try to enact justice, all we really do is enact retribution. And it's rarely measured. But there is, there is that anger that comes from injustice. And don't we live in an unjust world? I mean, who doesn't have their hearts broken by the state of humanity? Right? Uh, even in Denver, it just makes me angry when I see how many people live there without any family or friends or home. 
injustice? Does that cause us rage? Yeah, it should. I think not just fear and injustice, but also there's frustration causes anger. And that really goes down to a point of powerlessness. None of us are divine. None of us get to enact our perfect will and have it happen. Have you ever had a time that you were working really hard on something and then it just kind of gets, gets knocked down and you're like, oh, darn it. And then you kind of build it again and it gets knocked down again. You're like, uh-huh, right? And then it happens again. You're just like, that's it! <laughs> yeah. I mean, after you have something thwart what you're trying to do only so many times, oftentimes we just get mad. And we're frustrated at our powerlessness, our inability to enact our will and to oppose our will on things, right? Which is, you know, why for me, you know, making uh, puzzles was not a good project. Because <laughs> at first I'm like, okay, these two pieces of puzzle don't fit together. That's fine. But after an hour, I'm ready to burn the whole house down. <laughs> right? Frustration. That's where anger comes from. Anger's not bad. Right? It's, uh, when we're feeling powerless, sometimes we have that, oh, when we are frustrated, it's okay to feel. But the problem is a lot of times we stay stuck in anger. It's a very powerful emotion. And, and it, it sticks to us, and it doesn't go away. And so it just lays there in this low-level simmering rage that we carry with us from place to place until somebody just happens to trigger us and we blow up all over them, and then we feel horrible, and then we get mad at ourselves, and they're mad at us, and then the, the rage continues. What do we do with anger? In the Psalms, God gave us a, a solution. He says, don't sin by letting anger control you. But you can be angry and not sin. That's fine. But if we let it control us, if we let anger be the defining characteristic of our life, of our emotions, if we let it just sit there and stick, it burns us up. So what does it tell us to do when we're all hot and angry? In Psalm 4, it says this, think about it overnight and remain silent. Well, that's some good advice, isn't it? Right? Instead of just, you know, somebody pulls out in front of me in the car in traffic, you know, instead of just like getting out and just punching their face in, it says, hold on. You're angry. Recognize you're angry. I'm not, you're not guilty for being angry. Just don't do anything stupid. Right? So just stop. And let it simmer. Like, pull, pull yourself off the, the frying pan or for a little while. And just sit and cool down. And then you're going to act more responsibly. I think that's some good advice, isn't it? And for thousands of years, this is the best advice that humans could have in dealing with anger. Was, was to get angry, allow that emotion to, to be there, right? And then just pull back. Just pull back and wait for it to stop, and then you can act rationally. Just let it, the wave pass over you. But you know, something amazing happened, and I think sometimes we miss this. That something happened between Psalms and the New Testament. You see, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, this was after the resurrection of Jesus, he quotes this very same passage, but I want you to see the difference. Something happened in our ability to handle anger and how we're told to deal with it. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, don't sin. Oh, talk about making me angry. (laughs) Don't sin by letting anger control you. But instead of sleeping on it, it says this, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Isn't that a profound difference? Did the Bible contradict itself? I mean, why is it that 
In the past, they got a, they got a pass. They could be angry all night. But here in the New Testament, now that we have this, this new way of being with God, this, this new covenant with God, we're told, don't even just stew on it overnight. You can actually go to bed and not have to stew on it. Why? Something profound happened. God gave a gift to humanity that gave us a power to be able to not just stew on anger, but to deal with it. And you got to see what that was. Joy. Joy is our power that God has given us to handle anger, not just to let it happen and, until, it, until it moves away. Joy is a gift that God has given us to be able to, to process anger in a powerful way. So this morning, we're going to talk about what joy is, because there's a lot of misconceptions on what joy is. And then we're going to talk about how do we apply it to our lives so it has that amazing benefit, which is a great thing. And so what is joy? My favorite definition for joy is this. Joy is emotional Pam. You ever cooked? I hope so. You all look well fed. When you're cooking, I've got this lovely stainless steel cookware set. I love it. Problem with it is if you try to cook an egg on that and you don't put any like, even like you put butter on it, things like stick and then you get angry, right? And, and what happens is if I just cook in that pan and I don't have any Pam with me, I will cook and then I'll I cook an egg and it'll stick and then usually it breaks right? And that's great. And then um, it'll overcook because now the yolk's all over everything and I have to turn it into like scrambled eggs to try to, you know, do something with it, right? And then I'll scrape it out onto my plate and then stuck on that pan is a bunch of egg. And if I put that pan back on the stove to try to cook another egg, that's what's going to happen. All that old egg is going to get in the way. It's going to break the new egg, right? And it's a horrible process and it's just awful, right? And, And so, the, the beauty and the miracle of Pam is that you could spray it on your, your, your dish, your, your pot, right, or your pan right before you cook, or even after it's warm. It doesn't even matter. And if you put your egg in afterwards, what happens is the egg just slides all around, right? And then you can flip it over if you want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't stick. It, it can be there. It can cook, but it doesn't stick and it doesn't burn. See, joy is like that for us. When it is applied to our life, like a lot of people think that joy is an emotion. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is what's underneath our emotions that allow us to face strong emotions like, like anger or like sadness or like despair or like hopelessness. It, it sits underneath it and allows us to have those emotions, experience them, but allows them to, to be temporary so we can process them so they don't stick, so they don't burn us up. So they don't leave all this horrible residue. That's what joy is. It's an amazing thing. Helps us to process and release. So let's talk about how did we get joy? When did joy show up? Because obviously they didn't have it in the Old Testament. That's why the best they could do is just let things cool down. You don't want your eggs to burn. You pull your pan off the, the fire until it's cool and then it stops burning, right? Now we're like, you don't have to have anything burn. When did joy show up? Take your Bibles. I'm going to tell you, show you the moment joy arrived. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. This is in the Gospel of Jesus. We're on page 716 if you have one of our Bibles. If you forgot your Bible day, don't worry about it. We've got plenty in the back. They're by the sound booth, and you can use one. And if you need a Bible, keep it, please. Our gift to you. Now, we're going to be on page uh, 716. I know that's chapter 2 begins a page before that, but we're going to be at verse 10. 
And the reason we're going to start at verse 10 is this is what's happening in this portion of the story. It's Jesus' birth. This is when it happened. And so we have Mary and Joseph. They're up in the, the, the stable. They're having Jesus is there. And on the hillside, not very far away from them, are these hardworking blue-collar guys called shepherds. And these shepherds were, uh, you know, they were out just doing their thing. And all of a sudden, the sky lights up. Talked about it last week. And they, they, with this angelic army, right? Which would terrify pretty much any one of us, right? And so you have these, these shepherds there, which all of them were experiencing some pretty profound emotions at that point. Fear, which I'm sure some of them, it came out with an anger. I'm sure a lot of them felt unjust, right? Like, why are these angels picking on us? We're just the shepherds on the city. You should go, you should go kill all the people in the city, right? You armies, we're just shepherds. We don't have weapons, right? These army shows up. I imagine they had some pretty strong emotions. And I want you to see what the angels said to these shepherds while they were watching their flocks, out while they were working, while everyone else was comfortable in their beds. It says, verse 10, But the angels said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause, get this, great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. That's the day joy arrived. Joy showed up. It was there, but nobody knew about it, so the angels had to announce it. And he said, here's a message that's going to cause great joy for all people. And the message was, God showed up. The prophecy that we memorized was fulfilled. That truth, that reality, that message becomes a coding better than Teflon. Like Teflon, it just kind of sticks, but eventually it gets worse. Pam, you get to renew it every single day and it never gets unsticky. <laughs> or ne- yes, never gets sticky. That's the day joy arrived, right? And so we have this amazing message. And that's why I think like my favorite Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. That's why we have joy, and not just for me, but for all of us. Joy to all of us. The ability to have this, this ability to handle life in a whole much in a profound way came to all of us because God showed up. Despite all the pain, despite the injustice, despite the fear, all of us can have joy. Regardless of our emotional state, joy can still be applied. And I love that because joy is not dependent upon our circumstance. Joy can arrive to shepherds out in a field while they're terrified. Joy could arrive in a stable, right? Joy can, uh, it can be anywhere. The greatest times in life and the worst times in life and the happiest times and the saddest times, joy can be there. It can be yours. And I want you to see what happened to these, these shepherds when, after they received this message, Right? And verse uh, uh, what, 20, it says, So the shepherds returned after they went and they saw the baby, just like the angel said. It says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen, which were just as they were told. Right? Glorifying and praising God. They saw it fulfilled. Now, joy is a powerful thing. So, if joy is this underlying thing, if it's emotional Pam, right, allows us to process and handle 
strong emotions without having them stick so they don't burn us up. How do you apply it to your life? Well, we first have to understand really where we find it. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to look for joy in the right place. And we found that joy is found in the big picture. You're never going to find joy if you're just looking at your own small circumstance, right? I mean, look at the, the shepherds as an example. Right? That night, they were terrified. Hard to find joy when you're terrified. It's just like, ah, all I see is I'm probably going to die right now by these massive angels, and I don't know why they're picking on me, right? When the angels appear, the first thing the angels had to say is, don't fear, don't be afraid. That's like they always say to people. I guess the people that they don't say that to, we don't know about them anymore, right? <laughs> so... So the angel showed up, said, hey, you're good. Don't be afraid. And then gave them this message and said, God is doing something that's bigger than you. This is a message of great joy for all people. You're part of this, by the way. That even to you, you shepherds who thought you were on the outside, that God didn't care about you, that he was doing something else with all the important people. God is actually doing something, and you're part of it. You're invited into this. This joy is for you as well. You're part of this message, and I want you to experience this message. And so the angels took the, the shepherds, and he addressed their deep and, and strong feeling of fear with joy. You have fear? There's a message of great joy for you. And why? Because God's doing something big, and you get to be part of that. You thought, shepherds, this morning when you got up, that it was just to be another day. Just another benign day, I was going to sit out with the sheep until it gets dark, and I'm going to sit out there until it gets light again. It's just going to be another ho-hum, right? But it's not that at all. That God is doing something huge, and you get to be the first to see it. And that God is with you, and he's not far from you, and he's doing something amazing, and you get to witness it, right? Good joy. And there's something redemptive happening right now today. And the result is they left praising God. I mean, think about, they had their work schedule pretty much uh, interrupted. I imagine they could have been frustrated. Like, angels, could you come back tomorrow? I'm trying to do this thing. I'm at work. Call me later. But no, even now, even in this divine interruption, they could leave praising. See, small perspective leads to, to anger. When we focus on little things, the little annoyances, that's when we get angry. Like when I focus on just eggnog, right? My desire for eggnog, and that becomes my thing. Like my happiness is going to be tied up in getting this one thing, this small little thing. And when it's taken away, all of a sudden I get mad. Why? Because that was the, I pinned my hopes and, and, and everything on this, and it didn't happen. It was unjust, and it wasn't good, and then I get mad over something so small. But if I could take a step back, we're like, man, this thinks that they got the eggnog. I hope they learn a lesson about being selfish, but that, between them and God. But if I could take a step back, isn't it awesome? This is Christmas time. Everybody's celebrating Jesus, right? And then we ran out of eggnog, and people like it so much. It's good stuff. And I live in a culture I could just go to a store that's really good, right? When I take a step back and realize it's not just about small things, It's harder to get mad about tiny things. In fact, it sometimes puts us in perspective like, man, sometimes I act like a big old baby. And we find ourselves constantly mad. Somebody took that parking space. Somebody stopped in front of me too quickly, right? That person didn't notice this, 
nice article of clothing that I bought, or that person said something kind of snarky to me, right? And we get so mad about these things. Are we focusing on the big picture? Sometimes we have to take a step back and say, there's something bigger that God is doing. He is at work today. You see, God was with me that day in the grocery store, and he was doing something redemptive in me. He didn't give me what I wanted. I didn't get the eggnog because he gave me what I needed. I needed to realize that I was kind of selfish. Right? I needed to realize that I was going about my life and not looking at people and just looking at things. Right? God was at work doing something powerful and redemptive in me. He wasn't abandoning me and he wasn't punishing me. Right? He was at work even that day. And it didn't surprise him that this king of kings who was doing this amazing thing invited me into the story of the kingdom that day. Just as he does every day and he's doing something. Which means that if I'm going through a time in life that is really fun, that God is giving me a break and a rest and he's showing me a kindness and that's wonderful. Right? And I can take joy in that and I know that, that, that I, my contentment doesn't have to be tied to just pleasure. So I can enjoy the pleasure without having to cling to it and have it stick to me, because it doesn't. At the same time, I'm going through something difficult, something fearful, something hard. I know that God is just as present in that day as well. He's doing something. He's doing something redemptive and powerful now, because he's with me. Because God came, and he showed up to humanity. And he also says that once I become a believer, he comes and he dwells with me. He is present and he is active and he's doing something even now. Part of the big picture, God cares far less about eggnog than he does about his son. And he's doing something. And he's doing something in you too. I want you to know something, that, that, that God's plans aren't thwarted by politics. Never have been. I think oftentimes as, as Christians and as, as people, we, we look at the political climate of our world and sometimes we get freaked out. Right? We feel threatened. We feel frustrated. We see injustice. We get mad. And so we hate the people that we perceive are on the wrong side. Know this, that we don't have to be so angry at people. In fact, our battle has never been against them. And has God's plan ever been derailed by politics? Uh, let me ask you, was Pharaoh able to stop God's people from going free? Uh-uh. No. In fact, they got some really good stories about that. How about, let's go even further back. Was, was Nebuchadnezzar was he able to thwart God's plan to the prophet Daniel's life? Uh-uh. How about after Nebuchadnezzar, after the Babylonian Empire falls and the Persian Empire now comes and takes over? Was the Persian Empire and Cyrus and all of that able to stop God's plans through Daniel's life? No, not any of those prophecies. None of that stopped. How about, let's go even further. How about Pontius Pilate? Was Pontius Pilate and all the political junk that was happening around when Jesus was crucified, was any of that able to stop or thwart God's plans? No, in fact, we find that God's plans and his purposes happened precisely because of, of their ineptitude, because of the political climate. How about Nero a little later? Was Nero and all his madness and his vitriol and his lies against the church and against Christians and all the nasty things that he did and all the murders he committed, was it able to stop God's purposes? No. In fact, we find that the church actually grew and expanded in its influence precisely because of the political climate, the, the vitriol that Nero showed against Christians. God is not worried about politics. He can do anything he wants and his kingdom come and his will be done. We're okay. We are okay. So 
look at the big picture. God's at work. We don't have to hate people. We don't have to hate things. We can live in this world and we can be frustrated with the injustice. We can care about it, but it doesn't have to stick to us. It doesn't have to burn us up. We can have a deeper joy because we see the big picture. Joy is not tied to, it's not thwarted. God's plans aren't thwarted by injustice. Never have been. Has God been able to work through unjust things? Yeah. How about, I don't know, all the people that were, were shouting for, I don't know, a murderer, a known murderer to be set free so that an innocent rabbi who is the Messiah could be executed for baseless charges. Could God work in that? Yeah. How about the injustice of having one of his best friends betray him for 30 pieces of silver? Was God able to work and his purpose is able to work even in the midst of that injustice? Yeah. Are you struggling through injustice? Welcome to humanity. Is God's plan in your life thwarted? Not even kind of. Take a step back. Look at the big picture. God is at work. It's not just in spite of these things, but because of them, God is going to do something redemptive. He is at work today. You see, I often find that there's nothing in life or death in this present world or in anything to come. Nothing that the angels could do or anything that the demons could ever do or anything that other people can do to you. There's no sickness. There is no health thing. There's, there's no power able to remove God's love from you and to thwart his plans, his redemptive and perfect plans for you in Christ Jesus. Nothing can stop what he's doing. And he's not absent from you today. If you are in Christ, it tells us that every single thing we suffer is not in spite of his goodwill, but he's actually using it for your good. And it's not for your good right now. That's why it's not fun. But it's for a greater good that he's doing. And so we look to our, our present with an eye to the future. That today's crisis is tomorrow's history. Remember that. That it's not going to last, but you will. That you are not just going to overcome this. You are far more than an overcomer. Today's mountain may seem massive, but God will not just carry you past it, but he will give you the joy of looking back upon it and say, well, that was a small, small, tiny thing compared to the surpassing greatness and the glory that now I'm receiving. He's doing something. He is not just at work for the future. He wasn't just at work in the past. He came and he, and he dwells with us and he's doing something. So today not forever. My problems, not eternal. God's purposes, always redemptive. So we need to look at the big picture. You find yourself angry with small things that seem massive in the moment. Look at the big picture. Oftentimes you will see joy there. And I would say this, that we can do that because we know what's coming. We know it's coming because we know who came. That's the difference. That's why Christians have a greater uh, uh, tool in our tool belt. We have joy. Where in the Old Testament saints, they didn't have that. They had promise after promise. God will show up. God will do these things, right? But now we can look back and say, God did show up. And he did actually pay for all of our sins. Where there's, there's no reason for us to be separated between us and God. We have received grace. His Holy Spirit has now dwells within us. He's present now. So we know who came. We have great confidence in now what is coming. So we start with celebration. 
We say, for to us a child was born and someone's given, and the government truly is on his shoulders. And he's called a wonderful counselor for really good reason. He tells me how to live a much better life. And he's a mighty God. He not just saved me and rescued me from my sin, something I could never undo, but he's rescuing me today from myself and from my selfishness and from the brokenness of this world. I celebrate. It's like Christmas is such a great time. But we don't, just, we don't just celebrate what happened in the past. We have joy and anticipation because we know what's coming. We know that Jesus came and he said, I'm coming back. He rose again from the grave. I'm making a place for you. He said, if I made a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you. So I'll say this Advent season, as we prepare ourselves with joy, take this opportunity to step back and look at the bigger picture. Remind yourself that God has come. That He's redeemed. He's redeemed us. And He's redeeming us still. And He's returning. And all of this will matter. And all, every single pain, every single frustration, all of it is working together to build you up. This is an amazing thing. So if we know where joy is found, then how do we apply it? Well, we get to the next thing. is that we find that, that joy is recognized through God's purposes. We know where to look for, but how do you recognize it? How do you know this is where joy, this is joy? I know I have to step back and look at the big picture, but how do I know, hey, I found joy so I can apply it to my life? Well, we have to see God's purposes. If you take a step back and look at the big picture, you can look at it through a very awful lens that says, I see the world and it's all broken. I see bad things have happened in my past and bad things will probably happen in my future and I just don't see God. You're like that. You're like a person that's stuck outside at night. Can't hardly see anything, right? Just the next step and everything looks dark. You know, there's guys like that in the scripture. They, they lived so far away from Jerusalem, it took them months and months, probably maybe a year to walk to it. I mean, they were far from God. We call them wise men. And there's these wise men, they were out and they were in the middle of the night and they were walking around and it was dark. And they saw what everybody else saw. They saw an endless, vast array of stars showing them how tiny and insignificant they were in the scope of all of the universe. But these wise men saw something that others did not, although it was available for all to see. They saw a star. But they didn't just see a star and say, oh, that's a nice glowing orb of light up there. They saw the meaning behind the star. And as distant as they were from God, they were so motivated by it that they went on a journey because that journey gave them something. Uh, it gave them hope. In fact, we read about these wise men and what they did when they saw this star. It says when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then we find that they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But I love the fact that when they saw the star and understood what it meant, they saw God's purposes, what happened? They were joyed, and then they had a little bit more joy. <laughs> they were overjoyed. And joy just kind of spilled out. Spilled the point they gave away, like expensive things. They're like, woohoo! We walked a long way from home to find a baby in a stable. It's like finding a kid in a garage. Right? After that big journey, you would think like, hey, and they thought they're going to go to like some temple and there would be like this magic king or whatever that was on a throne. And they get there and they find the king there. It's like a sleazeball. They're like, well, the star, the star told us to come here. And they're like, the king's like, we haven't heard anything about that. And so they're like, all right. So you know how disappointing you would be? And you go from Jerusalem. Now you're walking to this little tiny like podunk town on like the outside of town. Like you're going to the suburbs. 
Like we thought we we're going to the big game. We we're going to go to you know, the big theater. We're not. When they see the star, instead of being discouraged, instead of being angry, which a lot of us would, they're like, we told our friends and family we're leaving on a, a, a life-risking journey to go meet this king because we saw a star. And we showed up where we thought the star was going to be, and he wasn't even there. You know how mad you could be about that? We brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. He's not even in the city. Maybe this God isn't so great. Maybe this star isn't so awesome. And then they follow it still. They're like, all right. They leave and they follow it all the way to this little tiny town and they pass all the nice houses. They're like, maybe it's going to be at this mansion. Nope, not there. Maybe it's at this nice little house. Not there. Maybe it's this rundown little apartment. No, not there. Why don't you go to the garage? They understood the meaning of the star in the midst of the darkness. They saw it and they knew it was more than just a star. They saw they had potential that God was doing something. And so when they recognized the purpose of it, they didn't look at the circumstances. They looked at the purpose that God had and that's when they were overjoyed. That's when joy doesn't just kind of hit them. It was like spilled all over. I love that, that, that picture, that mental image. It's like you're a cup. You get a little bit of joy, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then it just, just keeps on coming. It just overflows. This is what happened. See, oftentimes we think that joy only arrives in good times. When we show up in Jerusalem after a long and scary journey, and we're welcomed by all the kings and all those things, and we have a nice room to stay in, and everybody's we're part of the party now. That's when we think that joy arrives, but it's not. Joy arrives whenever. Joy is when we see God's purpose. That's when it arrives. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. One of my favorite verses to memorize because the address is easy. It says this. It says, consider it, get this, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Right, why? Because you know that they are, to, they are the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. Now, that, get that. It's not just whenever you have a trial, like God gives you spinach, and you're like, that is a plate of pure joy. That's not at all. I mean, you're like, not even like 80% joy or 60% joy. Sometimes as Christians, we go through a trial and in our Christian journey and we face something that's difficult and we, we feel very good about ourselves. We say, well, there's a silver lining, right? But it says the cloud's not the problem. The cloud is solid silver. In fact, it's better than that. It's pure, 100% pure joy. Why? Because God's at work in the trouble. God's at work in the hardship, right? He's doing something. We don't celebrate we struggle. We celebrate that God's doing something in the struggle. It's like you are, you are the heroine or the hero of your own story, right? God is writing in your life. And, and if your story would be lame if there was never hardship. You would get to heaven and people would be like, yawn, that's how you live? That's stupid, right? Every great person has go overcome hardship, haven't they? Like people who haven't overcome things has had a life of ease, we don't look up to them. We're nauseated by them. But the people who have overcome hardship, those are the ones that we're motivated by. We're like, wow, you overcame that. It's amazing. You're fascinating. You today are in the middle of the story. Sometimes the plot thickens. But the author of your soul has a good resolution. Stick with it. Sometimes it's just like you get into a good book and you're like, how oh, are they going to get out of this? But you know they will. You know, we've read the end of the book. 
you get out of it. God's doing something powerful in you. And so we know in the midst of however it's how deep and dark and hard it is now, you might not see a way out. God does, and he's doing something. That's why pure joy. And it's developing something in you, this perseverance. And perseverance continues to develop other great things in your life. Don't give up, right? Look past the small thing into the big picture and find God's purpose today. Just like when you buy eggnog, someone steals it from you. There's something bigger going on. God could have had a thousand eggnogs there. But he needed something bigger for me. I step back and I see his purpose. Nothing is tiny in the kingdom. He's at work. And he's at work with you today. And if he's at work with small things like eggnog, how about big things? The hard things, the ones that cause you real pain and real, real anxiousness. Is he at work with those two? Absolutely. I would say just like stars shine brightest when it's dark, joy shines brightest when it's dark. That's when we see God's purposes, but we have to look up. We have to recognize them. Last thing, when we have this joy, when we find it, we recognize it, what do we do? We recognize this. The joy is received by choice. It doesn't apply itself. Right? We have to be able to apply that joy to our life. That's why it's not like Teflon. Right? God's given you joy, and He says, I want you to apply this to your life so you can handle life, so things won't stick to you, so you won't burn up. You have to apply it. It's kind of like, uh, if, it's like a choice, like health, right? If you want to become healthy, a couple weeks from now, a lot of you are going to, some of you will say, you know what, I want to be happy. I'm going to be healthy in 2020, right? So I'm going to do all these healthy things. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to eat different and I'm going to have, have a different lifestyle, right? You understand when you make that decision that it's not just a one-time thing. You don't take a pill on January 1st and then from that point on, you're the walking picture of health, right? You understand that if you want to be healthy physically, there is a lifestyle, things that you have to start doing, have to change. There are things that you're going to have to add to your life that you didn't have in your life before, and things you're going to take out of your life that you didn't before. That's, you have to walk in that. Joy is the same way. You can't leave today and say, Aaron, I understand the truth of joy, and therefore I'm a joyful person. If you struggle with joy, if you struggle, things stick to you, you have to develop the habit of applying joy to your life. Just like every time I cook, now what do I do? I have the habit of applying Pam to my pan. And this is what we get to do. And how often do we have to apply joy? A lot. And so what are these habits of joy? What are these things we get to apply to our life? Well, the first one that I want to talk about is gratitude. Gratitude is the very first, uh, it's the very first practice or the habit of joy, just like exercising would be a habit of, of getting healthy. We have to have practice gratitude. So you can't conjure joy. You can't just make it up. You got to put it into our life. It's a decision and you can choose to be grateful or not grateful at any given point, right? And so uh, we, when we find it's Thessalonians 5.16, it tells us how we do that. How do you apply this? Well, it says rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How does it start? Rejoice always. Now, does rejoice sound like something I'm preaching about this morning? Yeah, joy is a big part of that, right? You have to start with joy. You have to apply that joy, right? But how? I like the part before that. You rejoy. You take the joy you had, and now you reapply it to your life. That's rejoicing. It's bringing back the hits, Right? It's what it is. It's taking, I find that I had joy yesterday. I got to apply it again today. Right? God was good yesterday. He is good today. 
God's purposes for yesterday, and they're good today. And I get to reapply joy. I get to rejoice. How often? Always. And I need to do that. You know how ridiculous it would be if somebody walked into a, a kitchen store and they sprayed the pan, the pan with Pam like that and said, gave it to you, and now you're good? It would work once. Probably get dirty on the way home. But it would work once. You got to continue to apply it. If you want to have joy, the ability to have this, this uh, ability to handle life without having things stick to you, you have to apply joy to your life continually. It becomes a habit. And how do you do that? You can pray continually. Why? It reminds you God is there and he's listening. You're talking to God. It's not just all the time just like, you know, saying, you know, the same prayer over and over and over again. It's like throughout life, throughout the day, like the day I got my eggnog taken, right? I was there in Safeway and I recognized I wanted to be mean. And I talked to God and I said, God, I feel embarrassed by this, but I'm really mad. And I want you to smite this person. (laughs) And I did. And I prayed, I talked to him. It was better than me telling God what he already knew was in my heart than me to yell at somebody. And I told him, and I said, God, but you have a purpose in this. I'm going to trust you have a purpose in this. So I got to drive the other end of town, and I, and I gave thanks in all circumstances. I think, thank you, Lord, that there's other places to buy eggnog. And when I got there, they were sold out too. And then I, but I was okay. God was at, at work. Pray continually. Talk with him. The amazing thing is when you talk with God, he talks back. It's a conversation that you have. So we tell him what we think, what we want, and God says, I hear that, but I'm a wonderful counselor. Just like a good counselor. Here's where you're at. And he helps us, straightens us out. Sometimes he speaks to us through his word. Sometimes he, he speaks to us in our spirit. If he speaks to us. And so the second thing that when God speaks to us, when we rejoice, always, we're praying continually, right? We're giving thanks, right? In all of our circumstances, not thanks for the circumstance, but thanks that God is working in the circumstance, that he's bigger than the circumstance, that he's doing something redemptive. We remind ourselves continually of that. As we do that, God reveals to us his will now in my life. He becomes that wonderful counselor, that everlasting father, right? And as he does and he reveals what he wants to do, the second habit we have to start applying to our life is then obedience, actually doing what he says. You know, I would imagine how frustrating it would be to be a doctor. Doctors see people in their life, and they're like, you're getting sick because you're doing this stupid thing. And people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, take two of these pills and call me and do this kind of stuff, right? And then the people go home, and they don't take their pills, right? Or they don't do what the doctor says, and they come back, and they're more sick. How frustrating would that be? I mean, if you want to get better, the doctor doesn't tell you to do these things because it makes him happy. He says, do these things because it's going to help you. Same thing with Christ, Right? Joy requires obedience. If we want to get better, we have to listen to the advice, the instruction of our wonderful counselor. So I, Jesus said in uh, John 15, he says, if you keep my commands, that's obedience, right? You will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you see the tie? If you keep my commands, your joy may be complete. Oftentimes, Christians think that we'll find joy, happiness, if we can just do the bare minimum for Jesus, and he would just leave us alone so we could do what we really want. That never leads to joy. It may lead to temporary pleasure and temporary happiness for a while, but it removes our ability to apply that joy to our life. We can't handle life. We don't have the resilience in life any longer. If we want to have joy, complete joy, full coverage, it's by walking in the obedience of Christ. 
His, that's why his, his commands are not there to make us miserable. They're there to bring us joy. It's powerful. So the Christian habit of, of life is just, we talk with God and he tells us to do something. He's like, there are times like, like with eggnog, just a small thing, but it was a real thing. And I was mad, right? And God was talking to me in that moment, bringing me conviction. Aaron, you're getting really upset about too many small things, right? I want you to pray for this person. I want you to remember why it is that we celebrate this season. You're getting caught up in the wrong things. And I took a step back and I started to obey Christ and actually was nice to somebody who, you know, I didn't even stare, you know, daggers into their head at the you know, checkout line. Didn't even do that. I wanted to, but that's why it's obedience. I did what I didn't want to do. I trusted God. You know what he did? He freed me from the, the, the emotion passed and it didn't stick. That's what it does. Joy can be complete in you. Now, as we have that joy, we apply it. There's something else that's in this verse, but it's another habit that we need to apply, and that's this. It's abiding. Abiding is a weird word. We don't use it very often, but basically it's to be at home with. We need to be at home with Christ, right? And I would say it that way. Jesus isn't at home with you. We have to be at home with Christ. It's his house, his rules, his kingdom. We need to come to a place that we're comfortable in the culture of his kingdom. We need to stick with Jesus until we're comfortable there. Stick with him. Abide with him. And as we do that, look what it says. If you keep my commands, it says, my joy may be in you. Right? As we abide with him, you remain in my love, he says. If you stay with him, his joy stays with you. And so joy comes in this practice of not just putting Jesus into a box. He doesn't live in a house. You visit him once a week. Right? That you go home with him wherever you are. And as you live with Christ, and as you talk with him, and as you see his purposes in your life, and as you trust his redemptive plan in your life, he will bless you with the amazing gift of joy. And it's a powerful thing. So this morning, we talked about how joy protects us from getting stuck on, and burnt out by strong emotions in this crazy life. But joy, if you want to find it, look at the big picture, right? Talk about if you have joy, you have to recognize it. You recognize it by looking for God's plan, not your plans, God's plans in the situation. And then you apply that to your life as you begin to, to practice these habits regularly. Gratitude, obedience, and abiding. So for you, this week, as we have, celebrate this week of, of a joy, partially preparation, partially celebration, and Advent, how are you going to apply joy in your life? I've got some ideas. Take out your connection card, if you would, please. On the back side, there's some things I'm going to encourage you and invite you to do. The first one is maybe read the Christmas story. Remind yourself that God really did come. I, this was a, Luke was written uh, from a, a, an investigative reporter, basically. He went and you know, eyewitnessed all the people and said, this is the story of when Jesus came. And so you want to hear what it was like? Read that. Or maybe what you want to start with this week, doing joy, is to anticipate joy. And that's to celebrate and anticipate Christ. Celebrate the fact that he came. Anticipate that he's coming again. And there's purpose for today. And do that consciously, regularly. Reapply that joy. Rejoice always. Or maybe what we need to do is uh, this week, you say, you know, I'm going to recognize joy. I'm going to look for it, right? I'm going to trust God's promises and his purposes. I'm going to look for what he's doing and trust that he's at work even today. Purposefully saying, what is God doing in my life? And if I can't see exactly what it is, then just trust that. I, I know he's doing something and he asked me to be faithful. How can I be faithful? And that's what you do this week. Or maybe what you need to do is to choose joy. You're like, you know where it is, you just need to apply it to your life. You need to start practicing giving thanks in all circumstances. 
by obeying Christ. Like there's something you know he wants you to do. Just trust him. He's telling you something that's really for your good. Maybe it's abiding, learning how to be at home with him. Whatever it is, I hope that you all have a commitment to make. If there's something else, let me know. If you have a prayer request, please write that down. I will be praying with you this week. We invite God into our lives to do his redemptive work. In a second, we'll take our offering as we do. Please take these connection cards, drop them in your offering basket as it is passed, along with uh, your tithes and your gifts. As uh, we prepare to take those baskets up, would you mind if I would pray for you as we, as we make these commitments? Let's do that now. Father God, thank you for sending Christ true joy to the world. A message of great joy, actually. That you've overcome our sin, you've overcome the past, you are overcoming our present, and uh, someday, Lord, you're going to come back, and we anticipate that. In the time, I pray, Father, that we do that. Help us to recognize our, the joy. Help us to see your work in our life. Help us, as a congregation, to see the bigger picture, to not get so caught up on selfish things. Lord, help us to, in that, recognize what you're doing in our lives so that we can work with you, not against you. Father, give us the ability to invite you into our lives as we uh, give thanks for the many things that you've done for us. Thanks for who you are. Father, as we see your hand in this to help us then also to obey you. Give us the faith and the faithfulness to trust that what you ask us to do is good. And Father, in that I, I pray that you would help us to be at home with you. Just as you came and made your home amongst us, Father, now we're grateful to say yes to that wonderful invitation that we can make our home amongst you. So, Father, teach us that culture of, of heaven. Father, so we can be as your people, representatives of you that carry the light of Christ even in this age. This week, Father, may that joy that you've given us run over. May we be overjoyed just like the shepherds so that those who spend time with us this week would come away different, that they would see not us but the great things that you're doing. But Father, we pray too that uh, you would also take uh, our tithes and our offerings, the gifts we give back to you knowing that you always meet our needs, that you're never going to drop us. But Father, we want to bring things back to you because we want to worship you with everything we are. So Father, take these and use them. Build, them your, build your kingdom through them. We ask for your glory. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.